I want to talk today about us having something to shout about, something that we can declare, something that we can proclaim, something that we can lift our voice, raise our voice, speak louder about. There's something about today that even as we celebrate the resurrection, there's something about a declaration and a, a proclamation and a sound that went through the earth. And that's what we're wanting to speak about, and I'm hoping we'll catch your hearts even as it's caught mine. So I want to start again just by making that declaration. He is risen. Very good. It's amazing to think that around the globe today, there are thousands upon thousands of congregations and churches and people who are gathering from, from different cultures and different languages, but all are coming together to proclaim to the same living Savior that He, Jesus, is risen and lives forevermore. Isn't it wonderful to know that? Doesn't something thrill in your heart to know that it's not just another Sunday? We get to celebrate His resurrection life every Sunday. But there's something about today that we remember that took place 2,000 plus minus years ago that changed history and changed the world forever and has changed my life and I hope your life it will if you receive Him. There's something that took place and that's why we gathered. And I want to ask the question this morning, what message is worth shouting about? What declaration or proclamation demands that you respond and proclaim something in return? You know, there's, there's lots of things that would make us lift our voices and uh, shout out. Maybe my wife uh, is from Alaska and where she lived, her family home burnt down. And uh, the, the houses are mainly made of wood and this happens. And when that happens, you would shout it out, get the neighbors rallied, and you'd all come and try and put out the fire and rebuild and redo what you can. There's, there's times like that when you want to shout something out. Maybe it's a bit negative. Maybe there's some positive things that would cause you to shout. Maybe if, if one of the Sharks players had managed to catch Kieran Reed before he <laughs> crossed the line, there would have been a shout that came forward. I know Garth would have been shouting if maybe Amla had caught a catch that he dropped on Friday night and we were still in the T20 World Cup. Maybe that would have brought out a shout. I came across a man recently who, who can we just change to that picture? This man was someone who was working in gardens in New York and he was taking old leaves and moving them into a bag and he found a lottery ticket. And he took this lottery ticket and he handed it in he had to wait a year for them to make sure no one else laid claim to it. And he won a million dollars. And this was on, on the web, and he was shouting it out, and he was proclaiming it. But I want to say there's something that you and I get to celebrate today, that there was a person that came, and he said that he was going to give life forevermore to each of us, that he was offering us eternal life. But they killed him, and they murdered him. But the good news is that the grave couldn't hold him, death couldn't contain him, that he rose again, that he's alive, and he's seated on the throne. And there is something there that we can shout about. There's something there that demands a response and brings us to a place that we have something that we can declare that is good news. They say in worldly terms, you can't keep a good man down. Well, in this situation, the religious leaders try to get together and keep him down. The political leaders try to plan and strategize. They were going to keep him down. There was the, 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 the men of the day, the leaders of the day, as I mentioned. There was also powers and principalities that were trying to contain him. But there was nothing that was able to keep him down. He burst forth from the grave, the risen king, the risen lord, the risen savior. You can't keep a good man down, not even death or the grave or religion, or politics, or man's plans, or the enemy's strategies can keep the King of Kings and Lord of Lords down. In whatever situation 
you and I are facing. The risen king can come and just explode life forth in him. And so we celebrate that today, and uh, I celebrate, and it's just one of my key moments in the year. Because we're meant to be living in that moment every day. But there's something about Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, that calls us to attention. And we need to respond to it. And I trust that even as we, we spend some time going through the, the, the message today, there's going to be something of grabbing hold of the good news that we're going to want to run with it, raise our voices, speak louder, declare it, because we've got something to shout about. And we see it, and we don't have time to go into it today. But I want to encourage you, especially men and fathers, if you get the chance, I want to encourage you with your families, um, single moms, it's for you as well, individuals, it's for you as well, anyone Grab hold of Psalm 22, and before the day is over, just read through it. It's a beautiful psalm, and it's got its theme as the suffering Savior, the suffering servant. And in it, we see Jesus being predicted in terms of going to the cross years before he did. And in it, it speaks about him being on the cross and calling out, as we heard from Peter on Friday, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we see in the midst of that the anguish of the cross, We see the humiliation, we see the pain, we see the degradation of the crucifixion, we see everything that goes on there, but somewhere in that psalm it changes completely, because it starts with the anguish of the cross, and it ends off with the accomplishment of the cross. There's somewhere in it that something shifts and changes, even as it did between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Something happens where life explodes forward, and what seemed like hopelessness turns to hope, Because life has come. And as you read through it, it ends off with this challenge to you, to me, gathered here today, that we have something to shout about. And this is what it reads at the end of that psalm, the end of Psalm 22. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. There's something about the cross. There's something about Jesus going to it. There's something about the change that happens as resurrection, life comes forward. There's something that we get to respond to, that we get to declare to generations to come of what Jesus has done and what's been accomplished. And so that's something that we can speak forward, that we can raise our voice voices about. And the, psalm, the psalmist anticipates that there's going to be an ever-growing number of people throughout history, who are going to be believers sharing this good news, making this declaration. A people, a crowd, a gathering, a group that's going to grow bigger and bigger, and the volume's going to go louder and louder as they start to declare the truth of what took place. And we see this is happening. We see it's happened. We see Jesus. Even as he rose from the grave, the disciples went out, and over 300 times it's mentioned in the New Testament about the resurrection, the 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 apostles took this message and they started to run with it and declare it, the good news, the gospel, wherever they went about Jesus being risen, being seated on the throne. How many of you know what the biggest and most famous clock is in the world? Big Ben, I hear some people saying that. Anyone here had the opportunity to, to go to London? Quite a few of us. Any of you listened to Big Ben as it charmed? most of you who went. You might not know this, but it's quite interesting that Big Ben, the most famous clock in the world, 
It has, and I know Murray likes to check me up on this. Where's Murray? Murray, you can, you can check me up on this. He caught me out at Christmas. You won't catch me again. I've, I've, I've read up on it. But um, what they say is that Big Ben's charms correspond to the fifth and sixth measure of Handel's Messiah. Particularly when it charms, it's charming to and corresponding to the phrase of that music which says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Isn't that powerful? People are walking around London today and they're not even aware that they are navigating their day and they are setting their clocks and they're living by the time of a clock that's singing out, my Redeemer lives. And so I want to ask a question of you here today and a question I need to ask of myself. What are we navigating our lives by? What tune are we marching to? What's ringing forth and peeling forth? What's being sung and declared over your life and mine? What are we aware of? something that we need to ask ourselves the question of. And as we come to this passage in Matthew 28, which I want us to look at here this morning, we're going to see that there's four statements, even as there's that, those four charms of, of my Redeemer lives that peels out. I know that my Redeemer lives in London from Big Ben, even at this moment. I want to say that there should be something that we are living by. And there's a, a moment in this passage that we come where there's the statement from the angel to Mary saying, come and see, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. Will you say that with me? Come and see, go and tell. I want to say there's something that we need to be coming to see what took place. But once we have seen, there needs to be a going in us so that we can tell of that which we have seen. Even as Psalm 22 said, that we will go and tell the generations to come of what he has done and what has been accomplished. So let's read in Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. There's this earthquake, the angel rolls the stone away, he sits on it. I want us to take note of that because I want to say the stone wasn't being rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was being rolled away so that people could come and see what Jesus had done and who he was as risen Lord and Savior. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. This is, what was, this is why we gathered here today, to remember what happened some 2,000 plus years ago, we celebrated this day. He is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. Sorry, I jumped, I jumped ahead there. And he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. He is not here, for he is risen, he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then once you have seen, go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. Come and see where he lay. Then go and tell the disciples that he is risen. There's something in that that I want us to see today that will cause us to realize we've got something to shout about. And the first thing is this, come. 
It's to know that there is this invitation that we can come, that we can come to the tomb to witness all that Jesus has done. But there's so much that keeps us from doing so. You can think with these ladies coming to the tomb, there would have been fear. I mean, uh, a graveyard is a scary place. How many of you know that? Especially when it's dark. I stayed at home last night on my own. My whole family was in Salt Rock. And um, my, my son normally and my daughter, when they're at home with me, they like to, if they're going downstairs, they like me to go with them and put the lights on. I laugh and I say, what can you be scared about? And I go down, switch it on, get with them. Last night I was at home alone. <laughs> I slept with the bathroom light on. But halfway through, I turned it off in the middle of the night. But listen, it started with the light on. This man of faith and courage and boldness. It's just so that I could clearly see to meet out justice if I needed to, whatever happened. These ladies are going to a graveyard. It's a scary place to go. Another thing that might have uh, caused a bit of fear for them in going is they weren't wanting to go to an empty tomb. They were wanting to go and to see a body of someone they loved so that they could pay their respects. And yet they get there and the tomb is empty and this throws them. What's happened? Has it been stolen? Who's taken the body away? Is there some um, mystery taking place here? What's going on? Also, there were guards. These were armed, fierce men. These were men that uh, were put there for the reason being to protect the tomb from grave robbers and from mobs that would come. These men had, for fear of their own lives, they had to stay awake, vigilant, because they knew that if they fell asleep, they themselves would be put to death. These were scary men. And to go and encounter these guards, these fierce men, who had no love for Jesus, would have been an intimidating thing to do. Yet these ladies have gone. And when they go there, the angel says to them, come. I love that word. It's a word of invitation, as I've said. He says, come. What we see with that is Jesus will never tell you, go away. I'm too busy. Not now. I want to say too many times I've got clear memories of saying to my kids, go away. I'm too busy. Not now. And there's good reasonings behind it and intentions aren't wrong. But we're quick to see that and say that. But Jesus never does that. He always says, come. He says, come, walk with me, follow me. We saw Peter mentioning on Good Friday that he said to the person on the cross near him, not only follow me, but follow me all the way into eternity. He doesn't only lead us here, but he leads us all the way home where he's prepared a place for us. And so we see he always says, come. When the disciples are curious and they ask him, teacher, where are you staying? He says, come and see. We see when the children try to come to him, the disciples push them away. He says, let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. There's something about the kingdom of heaven where we can come childlike in our hearts, where we can come to him and he receives us to himself. He never holds us at arm's length. To the rich young executive, the rich young ruler who comes to him, and he says, you need to get rid of your wealth. But then he says, come and follow me. You will have treasure in heaven. Too often we think that it's just about this young man having to get rid of wealth. What he is really saying in love to him is, if you follow me, you will have eternal wealth. We often miss that part and just think he is hard with the individual. But there was this, this call and this invitation, come. And my question to myself and to you here today, individually and to us corporately, is have we come to Jesus personally? Have we responded to that call to come? Have you come to Jesus 
personally? Or have you just come to hear about him? And this is a refreshing word. It says there's something in it that's inviting. And in the religion of Jesus' day, it wasn't inviting. It wasn't open-armed like Jesus on the cross, but it was folded arm. It was at our arm's length. And when you would find yourself in that place, Jesus would say of them, the religious leaders of the day, these people crush you with impossible religious demands. They will never lift a finger to help to ease your burden. It was a restrictive, religious, overprotective, mostly negative. It was made to feel no matter how hard you tried, no matter how much you did, you would never be good enough to get a tick in their books. One of the statements to Jesus was by these religious leaders, your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders, for they eat their food without washing their hands. They would find anything to find where you and I would fall short. On another occasion, Jesus healed a man, told him to pick up his bed and walk, and this man is healed. And instead of rejoicing that something miraculous, the goodness of God has broken out in the moment, they say to Jesus, it's the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to carry that bed. They, they, don't, they don't care that he's walking. They don't care that he's been healed. They just care that a law's been broken. But Jesus is very different. He looks beyond all of that, and he sees the individual, and he says this, and I want to encourage you, he's saying it to you today, where religion would say to you, you cannot come, you're not good enough, you won't make it, you've got no merit on your own to come. Jesus would say to you, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you come to Jesus personally? To receive that rest. Then we see, not only does the angel say come, but the angel says see. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. I, I love that. There's such intent. There's such meaning. There's such significance. It's so profound a statement. It's not saying come and see the place where Jesus is lying. Come and see the place where his body is laid. But there's something of resurrection power even in this phrase. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Because he's not there anymore. But don't just take my word for it. Come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself today that Jesus is the risen king, that the tomb is empty. Come and see for yourself. It's an invitation to see something. And that word see, it means to perceive it. It means to understand it. It means to encounter it. It means to experience it. Come and see. Come and perceive. Come and understand. Come and encounter. Come and experience that your Lord and Savior, the lover of your soul, is risen. That death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't contain him. No plan of man, no scheme of the enemy. But that he is raised and seated on the right hand of his Father in all authority and power. And that every other name that can be named is beneath his feet. Come and see. And so we see even as that word comes in invitation, the word see is to investigate and to have a revelation of what's taken place. Come and see what Jesus has done. And I love the beauty of that. You know, there's some, there's some leaders today, maybe in our nation, who don't want you to come and see their homes because there's things to hide, maybe just in the expense of purchasing those homes. But here is a leader who's saying, come and see. Not only come to me, but come and see even the most intimate of places, the place where in humility that I had been laid in my death. Come and see 
so that you can see that I am alive forevermore, that you can find life in me. Nothing hidden, everything open, nothing to hold you away, everything to spread wide his arms and embrace and bring you to himself. I want to say the resurrection is not all about Jesus. He never did it for himself. The resurrection that we're celebrating here today is for you and for me. It means that we can find life in the one who is life and has released resurrection life. Come and see. He's saying, come and see and taste for yourself. See if I'm not real. See if I'm not alive. See if I'm not able to change everything and to release my resurrection life to you. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good, as it says in Psalm 34. And Philip, one of the disciples, says to Nathaniel, one of his friends, he says this of Jesus. We have found him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. And then Nathaniel goes and he interacts with Jesus for a sentence or two. And then there's something that bursts forth from him. There's a proclamation. There's a declaration. There's something that he has to say after spending time, after coming and seeing Jesus. There's something he needs to declare. And it says, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Come and see and perceive and encounter and experience him. Because I want to say, if you've been living on the borders and the outskirts, if you've been living in the shadows, if you've been living on the periphery of what's called organized religion, I want you to come and see a risen Lord and Savior who loves you unconditionally, who's paid a price for you that you might have life and not be robbed of life. I want you to come and taste and experience him. It's not a blind leap of faith, but it's coming and perceiving and encountering him for who he is. And these ladies go, and what do they see? They see that the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. They saw where Jesus lay, but not where he's lying, because he's not there. What happens? What would happen? Can you picture a tomb? Just picture a tomb today. Have we got that picture? Imagine if you're approaching that tomb in that picture and looking in, and I've had the, the privilege of going to Jerusalem to what they suppose and propose was the tomb, and you get to look in and see where they would have laid Jesus' body. What do you think you would see if you had to look into that tomb? Like the ladies on this morning, 2,000-something years ago. I want to say the one thing that you would see is the humility of God. The one thing as you look into that tomb that you would see is the humility of God. To see just how far God would go on your behalf and mine. How he would descend from heaven to earth. To die, to be buried in a claustrophobic little tomb. The Lord of all eternity, outside of time, would inhabit time and space in the person of Jesus Christ. Then come on your behalf and mine. He would make himself of no reputation. He would make himself as of nothing to die on a cross, to pay a price, to be buried, to be put in a tomb. It shows you the humility of God. And as you look into that tomb, you see the humility of this God. Because no other religion has at its core the humiliation of its God. I want to say that's one of the most humiliating places you could have ever gone. It looks pretty with a ribbon with a nicely made little crown of thorns of acacias which John put together. 
But I want to say the real cross was rugged and splintery. It was covered in blood. He had had a thorn driven on the crown, driven onto his head. It was a place of humiliation. And yet now it is the symbol of the greatest victory. Now it is a declaration that, that it costs the world and causes it to have to respond and make a choice about who Jesus is. And it was a place of humiliation. Maybe that's what you would see if you looked into that tomb, that the Son of God became a man to enable men and women to become sons and daughters of God. Maybe if you looked into that empty tomb, you would see the reality of sin. You want to see what sin will do to you? You need to look at the tomb. Sin killed Jesus. I want to say that in today's day and age, we, we know that he died for our sin, but we don't like to mention sin. You know, we laugh at it. We mock the word sin. We scorn it. It's not a, u- a word that we use uh, very much today. But I want to say that Jesus took sin seriously. Jesus took sin so seriously that he never sent his best man, that he never sent his warring angel, that he never sent an envoy, but that he decided to come himself to earth to bear your sin and mine to go to the cross and pay the price and to see it nailed there so that we could live free of the power of sin dominating your life and mine. Isaiah 53 says this, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. You could read it like this individually for yourself. He was wounded for my transgressions. Changes it up a little bit. It's easier for me to read it and now it's ours because you're with me. But when I make it personal, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The punishment that brought my peace was on him. If you watch, there'll be many sermons on, on TVN or Christian stations over the day, and you'll see when the hearing impaired, those that are deaf, when they start to speak or worship or mention the name of Jesus, how do they show it? This is the sign for Jesus. We can declare many things that are true of who he is. But let us never forget, he was our living sacrifice that made a way for you and me through the nails driven into his hands and his blood shed. Number three, when you look into an empty tomb, you see the mortality of man. When you look into the empty tomb, you see your future and mine. It sounds quite heavy, but we need to know this, that the Bible says it's appointed under every man to die once. There's no avoiding it. But we know in Christ we have life forevermore. And so when we look at that empty tomb, there's the humility of God, yes. There's the reality of sin, yes. There's the mortality of man, yes. But even more and overarching, and through that all we see something else. We see the victory of Christ. That's what we see when we look into the empty tomb. All the other things are there. But the thing that grabs my attention when I look into that empty tomb is I see that's where Jesus lay, but he's no longer there. Because the grave couldn't hold him. He is risen, seated on the throne, our soon and coming king, forever interceding 
on your behalf and mine, singing songs of deliverance over us. He is an ever-present help in times of need. I have always the access to come before his throne of grace, to receive grace and mercy for my time of need. I know that in him and through him and by him, I have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's something that took place and shifted that was won on your behalf and mine because of the victory of the cross and because of the empty tomb and because of the inhabited throne of God. Because of the name of Jesus, but before which every knee will bow. Come and look. Come and see. Why do we do that to see that he's alive? Why do we need to do that? I heard of a story of a Muslim Muslim man in North Africa, and he had heard the gospel, and it had encountered him, and uh, he had encountered it, and encountered the resurrected, the resurrected king and the Lord Jesus, and something had changed in his life forever, and his friends and his family couldn't accept it. They weren't as excited as he was about Jesus. And so they came to him, and they asked him this question. Why would you leave Islam and convert to Christianity? And the man said, well, it's like this. If you're going down the road and there's a fork in the road, And as you're going down, you don't know which way to go on this fork. And there's two men that are at this fork in the road. And you want to ask directions from them of which way to go. And the one is dead. Do you get it? And the other is alive. Who do you ask directions from? We come because we want to come and see to live life and do life with the one who is alive and the one who is risen. That's why we need to come and see. We need to know who we can call on and who we can go to. So it's come and see, and then it's go and tell. Say this with me, go and tell. I want to say, if you haven't encountered Jesus today, you need to come and you need to see for yourself and experience him. You need to taste and see that God is good and that with his arms spread wide at the cross, they still spread wide to embrace you and to love you and to bring you to himself, to receive you to himself, even as you receive him as your Lord and Savior. But if you are a believer here today, I want to say you've got something to shout about because there's something that we need to know that needs to grip us, that take a hold of us, that we need to know that we are a people on a mission that need to go and tell that which we know is true, that which has changed our lives, that which has made us come alive, that which has made us a new creation, that which has taken us out of the muck and the mire and placed us upon the rock, that which has snatched us out of the kingdom of darkness and established us in the kingdom of light, that which has brought us out of orphanhood and made us sons and daughters of the living God, that which has given us a life purpose, that which has given us dignity and the ability to walk with our heads held high because of his righteousness, which is now my righteousness, which is given to me in Christ Jesus. There's something to tell. You've got a story to tell. Don't be intimidated by the news and the stories that this world is telling. There's many things you hear out there that cause us to pull back and be quiet. I want to say that you've got something to tell that is good news. It is the very power of God unto salvation for everyone that would believe on him. I want to say there was an earthquake when he died on the cross. There was an earthquake as this angel stood on the tomb and there are still earthquakes and tremors and reverberations that go out when you speak the good news of who Jesus is that shakes people in the very fabric of who they are because they're hearing the words of life spoken to them. You've got something to tell, something worth hearing. 
something that a shouting world needs to quiet itself to hear that takes place as you hear the name of Jesus. Come and see, go and tell. We need to move from that place of coming to the empty tomb and being fascinated, rightly so, with the wonder of what we encounter. But that fascination needs to move us to declaration. Because we've come and seen, we need to go and tell. We need to not be ashamed to go and tell. Uh, I say that, and just before I close, I heard a story, and it's a well-known story. You might have heard about this. This man, a preacher in his older years who had had a disease and uh, he wasn't able to speak because of a, a paralyzing in his vocal cords and different parts of his body. And the Easter before he died, he wasn't able to speak, but his daughter had come to him and he wrote her a note, the Easter before he had died. And this is what he said. I want you to hear it. This is what he said. How terrible it is to wake up on Easter with no voice to shout. He is risen. Let me say that again. To us that have the privilege, the opportunity to go and stand somewhere and find some beach and find some mountain somewhere in the garden or somewhere in the house that we can stand and shout, He is risen. We have that privilege and that opportunity. This is a man who didn't. didn't. And he said, how terrible it is to wake up on Easter with no voice to shout, He is risen. But then he said, worse still is to have a voice and not want to shout. I want to say we have something to shout about that we are celebrating here today. Do you have a voice? Well, then tell the world that he's alive. I heard a story of President Abraham Lincoln, and I'm closing with this, that Abraham... Lincoln had obviously been assassinated, and 22 years after his death, there were rumors and, you know, the myths that go around and all the the gossip that people had stolen his body. And so you can look this up online, Murray. You'll find it there. 22 years after his death, they took out the coffin. They opened it up. People came. They saw. They looked. They went. They told. His body's there. He's dead. 17 years later, the same thing happens. The rumors come, take out the coffin. People come and see. They go and tell his body's there. He's dead. With Jesus, three days after he had gone to the cross, three days after being in the grave, the rumors come. The people come and see. And they write because his body's not there. But it hasn't been the ploy of some religious leader, some political figurehead. It hasn't been grave robbers. It's that the grave couldn't contain him. Resurrection life bursting forth. But here's what I want us to see. President Lincoln was a great leader. You can't call on him for help. He's dead. Buddha, you can't call on him for help. He's dead. Muhammad, you can't call on him for help. He's dead. Shembe, you can't call on him for help. He's dead. But there's one who is alive, who lives forevermore, who is risen, who is seated on the throne, who is an ever-present help in times of need, who you can call on him. He has the power to work in your situation, my situation, that the same power that raised him from the dead is alive and at work in us for his glory. Come and see. Go and tell.
just want to pray for us at that point. Lord Jesus, we pay, pray to you who we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you for your resurrection life, Lord. I thank you that today, that Lord, that you would just, where, where maybe um, things have tried to hold us down and keep us down and inhibit us and, and cause us to operate in a place of claustrophobia, I pray, Lord, where even death has come against different individuals' lives in this place. I thank you that you come with your resurrection life, that you just revive us, that you cause us to be arrested once again, Lord, that you would draw us and invite us to come and to see. I pray, Lord, that everyone here would once again taste and see that you are good. Lord, I pray that you would give us a courage and a boldness born by your Spirit, that we would be able to be those that go and tell unashamedly of the good news of who you are. And Lord, that your power would be active, that everyone who believes on you would be saved. I pray, Lord, that even as we go from this place, that we would be able to go declaring, even as that old man wasn't able to, yet we have the strength and the voice to do it, that you are risen, you are risen indeed, and that our Redeemer lives. I pray, Lord, that we would shout it out because we have something to shout about. And Lord, I pray, and if we can just bow our heads, if there's anyone here today, I want to pray for two groups of people. If you are saying, Lord, I'm wanting courage to go and tell. I believe in you. I've come and I've seen and I've tasted that you are good. And I'm wanting the courage to go and tell others. Uh, I'm not going to get you to stand, come to the front or anything like that. While the eyes are closed, I just want to acknowledge you. And so I can be in faith with you and you can be in faith with me. If you can just raise your hand that you're saying, I want to be someone that goes and tells. If you can raise your hand and I'm just going to say a prayer in agreement. Wonderful. And then I want to pray for those that are here today. If you're in that place where you've just been coming, you haven't given your life to him yet, you've just wanted to come and see, but you've tasted and seen that he is good, and you wanting to say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come in your resurrection life and make me come alive. I want you to come and make the old things new. I want you to come and where I've been going in my own direction, Lord, I, I'm sorry for that and I repent of that, but I want to go in your direction with you as Lord of my life. If you're here today and, and you wanting to pray that, or maybe you felt that you aren't there where you've been there before and you're just wanting someone to agree with you and believe with you. If you can just raise your hand so I can pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Lord, I just pray for those two groups of people. I pray, Lord, for, for us who just wanting that fresh touch of your spirit and boldness that we can share your, your word powerfully. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, give us courage, give us just the confidence in the good news that we carry. And Lord, I pray that there would be testimonies that would come as we start to do so. And then, Lord, for those that just want to reaffirm and acknowledge you once again as Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you come to them as Lord and Savior. And that, Lord, even as they've said that they want to receive you as Lord of their life, they're sorry for where they've gone in their own direction. I thank you, Lord, that you respond to faith and that you make your grace real to them even now, that they can have that security and, a security and knowledge of knowing that their Redeemer lives and they are in right relationship with you. I pray that in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.